Welcome to a new edition of the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino. On this episode, we talk with CEO, business coach, and the greatest sales coach on planet Earth, Don Markland. He is the CEO and owner of Accountability Now, an executive coaching and business strategy company out of Jacksonville, Florida. As a Forbes contributor for entrepreneurship, leadership, and sales, he has over 20 years of experience in the world of sales, marketing, leadership, and business growth. Enjoy this interview. Everything's good. Thank you for taking a minute out today. I appreciate it. Absolutely. So, you know, before we get into your life and, you know, as a business coach, um, the greatest sales coach on earth, I want to know, you know, in that capacity, you're obviously a people person. You're very driven by being around community and people. And the last three years with COVID has been quite a time for all of us. How did you survive that time period, and how has it changed the way that you live your life and conduct business now? You know, I think my business sense stepped in, so we realized we need to pivot to what the market needs because I focused a lot on sales and marketing. It was easy because I just realized, hey, people don't know how to operate or sell or manage teams remotely, so we kind of focused even more niche into the product need and it was a great thing for the business so the business grew really well and um, remote work has been really great for the coaching industry and my webinar we just did yesterday um, the coaching industry has grown by and increased its growth rate by almost 70 percent largely driven because people are more comfortable with remote coaching than ever before so it's been I think it's been great. I've worked from home for a long time, so it wasn't a big adjustment for me. Yeah, I imagine so. I hear that a lot. You know, to get a, a better handle on exactly what you do day to day, I'm going to put you in front of a bunch of third graders at a career day. And one of the kids is going to look up at you and say, what do you do for a living? How do you answer that child? Uh, we would say, or I would say, somebody asked me, like they do all the time, right, of what do you do? Uh, I help businesses that are struggling from a sales perspective figure out how to sell and market their business. That's what I do. So let's go back to your childhood and beginnings in your life to get kind of an idea of how you became who you are today. Talk to me a little bit about, first of all, when you were in the third grade, what did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, I was a I was a passionate musician. I, w I was a piano player and a singer, and I did that for most of my middle school, high school, and college days. And I thought I was going to go to Broadway and be the great Broadway performer. And so that was that was my life, just playing the piano, singing, and performing. So what was it? What was the flashpoint? What what was the pivot in your road that? got you to who you are and what you're doing today? Um, when we were, when I got married with my beautiful wife, uh, we were, I was 24, 23 or 24 at the time, and I was just, uh, I was about, I think I was nine credits away from finishing my bachelor's degree in theater, and I had just gotten a scholarship in voice, vocal performance to NYU to get into the Master of Fine Arts program. And I, this is back in the day, I don't know if you remember this, back before they sent emails, so I had a letter, an actual piece of paper with yeah. this, 
And um, and so here we were sitting in the kitchen, and my wife and I look at this letter, and we're like, okay, this is it. Like, are we going to go to New York and go after this? And I'm, I'll never forget sitting there, my wife saying, look, if you want to do this, I'll support and let's do it, but let's just make sure we know what it means. Because my fear is not us not making it, because we'll, we'll figure that out. The fear is what if we actually became successful and did eight shows a week? And, you know, how do we raise a family in the city and do all this? And so she said, look, you're a big boy. You can make this decision. I'll support you either way. She went to bed, and I sat there in the kitchen. I'm a religious guy. I kind of prayed about it and thought about it. And I took that letter, and I tore it in half. And that was it. And I went and changed my major to finance. And that was all she wrote. And so I decided wow. to to change it. Because the fear was never, could I be successful? I thought I was good enough to be successful. And I get it. There's a whole element of luck when you're in the performing arts. But I, you know, I got the validation. That's what I realized when I was sitting in that kitchen, sitting there holding a scholarship. I realized I got all the validation I need. I know I'm good. Great. Yeah. Now, Interesting. Now I got to raise a family. Now I got to go, you know, build a life. Well, I do know from my end of things because I cover the world of jazz musicians all the time that I do see without it coming right out from the mouths of everybody. I do see that the time and the toll it takes and how hard it would be. And there have been quite a few musicians that started and then stopped and went away for a while. I mean, one of the most famous examples of that is Garth Brooks. I mean, he literally completely left the realm of music specifically to raise his family. So, yeah, yeah. It's, uh, it's 100% admirable. Um, and that was kind of a part of what I was going to get to were some of these seeds that were planted in you, obviously, that, that sprouted into you being a musician. But what were the seeds that brought you to the place that you are today with being driven by sales and helping people achieve financial independence and those kinds of things? Um, I, uh, um, I mean, I, I think some of the start of my early career in college, you don't see me doing air quotes, but I said career because I had a telemarketing job. And my first job, kind of my first kind of big boy job was making phone calls, doing telemarketing, and I did well. Um, so that was, I had a natural gift of gab as so I could talk to people. That was the extrovert coming out of me. And then I had amazing parents. My mother was an entrepreneur and she had her own business. And I was raised in a home where we had reading time every night. Like there was no choice. Every Marklin boy had to read every night. And so reading was a big part of my mentality already. And so when I started to get into this telemarketing job and find success, I said, said okay, I'm going to read every sales book I can. I'm going to read every management book that I can. And I started, you know, really reading every Zig Ziglar book or every, you know, you name it. And I started to really grasp this knowledge of how to sell and how to manage. And I started to move up in that telemarketing company. And I found myself, you know, at 25 years old after I had switched majors by the time I was 25 years old, I was vice president of sales and operations for a call center company. Um, and we were a 12 million, 12 million size business. And I was the second in command over the whole thing. And, 
but it, and it was because of this passion for knowledge, reading and application of it. And I didn't move into coaching for years later until, you know, my wife went through cancer and we started our own business and we did some things with that and we sold a couple of businesses and we realized we have an opportunity now to do some cool things. Very cool. So tell me, who have been some role models or heroes for you in your life? Um, some personal role models. I'm a religious person, so, uh, you know, I try to, I try to, you know, I do believe in Jesus Christ and I follow, you know, Christianity. But at the same time, I take little elements of some, some other people. You know, I, I'm a big proponent of no one's perfect. And so, uh, my father and mother have been enormous role models for me. My father was a doctor, and in a very similar story to mine, he was a musical theater major in college and abandoned it to go be a doctor. Um, and uh, I admire that and admire that courage, and I've always looked up to that. And then my mother started a business. She was a she was at one point the leading um, medical laboratory medical consultant in the Western United States. Um, in the 90s, when it was really hard to be a woman business owner, let alone a woman consultant business owner, let alone a woman consultant business owner in medicine. And she was doing all three. And I looked up to them, and I still look up to them and just think, geez, I just loved what they've done and what they do. And then, And I've got three amazing brothers that I look up to all the time that inspire me, and I wish I could be more like them. So if you can meet anybody alive on the planet right now and spend some time with them, who would you love to meet and talk to? If I could meet anyone alive on the planet right now and I could spend, like, lunch. So, uh, you know, I, the musician in me would meet, you know, one of three people. I would go spend – if I could spend an afternoon with Harry Connick Jr., um, I played the piano – because I heard a Harry Connick Jr. tape. I was studying classical forever. You know, when you grow up and you learn jazz or you learn piano, you always start in classics and scale. And I was hating it. And my teacher was pounding me on these classic and I was going to quit. And then my dad said, before you quit, I want you to hear this. And he put a tape, a tape player, and Harry Connick Jr. playing. And, and he goes, you can also do this on the piano. And I was like, oh, well, that's a, lot, that's a lot different than what I'm doing with Mrs. Howard. And, and so I, if I could sit with him and I, now I would cheat, I would say, can we go over to the piano and just play for a second, right? Um, but I would, I would do that in a heartbeat. And then probably some other musicians that I would want to go, that I've idolized my whole life. Uh, you know, I, I would love to sit and have lunch with Bruce Springsteen. And just, you know, talk about a guy who's a great musician who's got an awful singing voice but then figured it out, right? Like, just what a cool guy that just put passion behind everything he did. And, and yeah, it's cool. Yeah, I, uh, I would love to see him live. In fact, about a couple of weeks ago, we were going, my wife and I were going downtown to uh, see a local jazz musician that's moved on to Paris and came back. It was quite a homecoming. His name is Herman Bahari. He's a trumpeter. And, there was all this traffic, and, and 
we had just won the Super Bowl, so it wasn't that out of, I mean, there was a lot of exuberance in the air. But I didn't quite know what was going on, and I realized that when Herman came on stage, he had mentioned something about Springsteen. So he was in Kansas City that night, and that was a few weeks ago. Um, so, uh, but yeah. We so, just saw him. We just saw, <clears throat> I just got to see him for the first time. He came to Orlando, and we saw him. And he was just as good as you would have hoped. Oh. Right? He I, was just unbelievable. I've heard that it's akin to like you have to see the stones and just you you can't believe it until you see the energy and the whole. That's what I've heard. I've heard the same thing. My my dad went. We're both Stones fans. Now look, I've seen Paul McCartney four times, and Paul McCartney still delivers, right? Still delivers. And and my dad went and saw Rolling Stones in Las Vegas right before COVID, and he said, Don, you would have thought they were thirty. Right, he goes. They delivered for three and a half hours without a break, and they were as good and on pitch and on. I mean, he goes. They were as good as you, they were performers. And he goes. They don't need the money. They're doing it now because they love touring. And I'm like, yeah, I buy that. I buy. Yeah, that. and you can see that. You can feel it. So let's kind of that. That's a great segue into my next question here. To segue into it, you know. All of us have passion and desires for what we do with our lives and how we carry on our jobs. What is it for you that motivates you every day, that gets you out of bed, that propels you through the day? And ultimately, at the end of the day, how do you quantify a good day in your life? Um, uh, so I'm, I'm big on journaling. I'm big on morning routine. And so I do journal every day and I write if my day was good or not. And I, and I know not every day is going to be good, but I do celebrate the good every morning. So I always write down tomorrow what was good about today. Even on the day my wife, you know, got cancer, um, even on the day that I've had terrible things happen, the next morning I write down what was good about the day. So I think part of winning is that mentality of, you know, you can, you can win every day. Doesn't mean it's, hard but you can't find the good of every day so that's i know it's a kind of cheating answer but that's that is part of how i've approached it and i I think i had to do that when my wife you know here i was 26 and she was 27 and she got diagnosed and we were faced with a whole reality of you know we're way too young to deal with this like we have three kids under the age of six this isn't right we had to kind of relook at the way we thought about our life um and so that that's a big that's a big thing, and then in my personal faith, I, I I'm a practicing uh, Latter Day Saint, and in our scripture it says, whenever you're in the service of your fellow man, you're in the service of your God, and so I always gauge, am I winning? Am I serving somebody in some way? Right? Um, am I doing something nice for somebody or kind for somebody or? helping somebody and sometimes I you know a lot of my work is transactional um, but so if I can go above and beyond or do something that isn't transactional and is service oriented you know what I'm I'm building a better world in some small ripple of a way so let me ask you this based on the wisdom and the paths you've been down and things that you've overcome in your life if you have a dream tonight you ran into yourself 
the version of you in your 20s, and you could give that younger version a piece of advice based on the wisdom you've gained, the life that you've led, what would you tell your younger version? Uh, outside of, like, investment strategies, right, like invest in Facebook and Amazon, right? Um, or I would have. Or that sports book from Back to the Future. <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? I, like, I would have, I mean, investment things would have for sure been, but I already know this answer. I would have sell, I would tell my younger self to celebrate so much more. Celebrate so much more, right? Because I had all these wins and successful milestones that I had in my life, not to mention, you know, 42 birthdays. And I just never took, for the longest time, until the last even just few years, took the time to actually celebrate things I was doing. You know, for years when I was at the call center company, I was traveling the world as a 20-year-old. I was going to Hong Kong and China and Germany and London and El Salvador and Philippines and all these places. And I was never going and experiencing the city. I knew my hotel and I knew the office. And I really knew both those places. And I never took the time to celebrate and enjoy it. And I've had people now say, oh, you've been to Hong Kong? You've been to China? I'm like, well, technically, yes. And yeah, I've been to China for three weeks before. But I couldn't tell you a street name. I couldn't tell you a restaurant. I couldn't tell you anything. And it wasn't until later that I looked back and realized, no, I really missed out. You need to celebrate. And so now when I travel, I still travel a lot for work. I always take a couple of days and I celebrate. Hey, I'm going to go out on my own. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to go enjoy this place. I love that answer, man. I, you know, because the one thing that it just plays into being a Gen Xer and the way my mind works, you know, I used to travel a lot more for work and I, I still remember times where like going to Dallas, I went to Dealey Plaza and was just amazed at how compact that area was for an assassination scenario. Just things, just like going out and think that, and I think about that being a father to two teenagers, you know, um, I don't want to do it to a fault, but there's so many times in me that it's just like, I want to do things with them and it, cause it's so short. And I mean, I, I think it's very important for kids to feel that, uh, I don't know, to feel that door opened up, to, to, to have the world opened up to them and, and to feel that with their parents. I think it's really important, you know? Yeah, agreed. Yeah, and so just as so we do that now, we celebrate a lot more. And I tell it to my clients, celebrate, celebrate, celebrate a lot more. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, when you look back on your life, of all the things that you've accomplished that you've done, from music to your life now and all of these things, what are you the proudest of when you lean back and think about your life? What is it that really stands out? My kids. My kids. There's, so, nothing, there's been nothing greater than my kids. Yeah. I get that for sure. What, what's been one of the best client responses, quote, unquote, fan letters you've ever received in your life? Um, you know, we've had... We've had some really great ones, um, and uh, so we actually, but, well, let me answer this in two ways. We've had some great ones, but most of our, 
most of our testimonials, right, and I teach this to people, is stop caring about what your testimonials are, okay? Um, you just, your testimonials are marketing assets. So we solicit testimonials, and we write exactly what we want them to say, and then we ask the person, can you post this, please, right? Um, because testimonials are marketing assets. I don't need somebody to tell me I'm good. I feel good. I'm proud of what I do. Um, so that's one half of the answer. The other, that's, that's the business coach inside of me, is telling people, stop trying to get press clippings that make you feel good. Make yourself feel good. Go get it as a marketing asset. That's what you need. <clears throat> but to directly answer your question, you know, I've had people that have told me, you saved my business, you saved my marriage. Um, I've had, you know, we've had a client that was, you know, heavily, I, I don't do life coaching, we do business coaching, but we had a client that was heavily addicted to drugs and is no longer addicted to drugs and the business is 30 million in size now. They're doing really well. And he talks about, you know, just all the work that we've done and, and how much better he's doing because of that. And so I look at those things and I feel great about how we've helped them and how we've helped those people. So everyone out there has a perception of you, your family, your friends, your clients, colleagues, but ultimately you live your life. What's your perception yes, of you? Who do you, who do you think you are? I would say I am an honest person who, uh, you know, this is part of my personal mission statement and my eulogy exercise of what I want people to, you know, know about me at the end of my life is that when I am with somebody, I am with them. So I, that, that is my, my perception I, and I believe that is felt and that is what I try to live up to. That when I'm talking to you, I'm not on my phone. I'm not distracted. I'm not thinking about tomorrow's meeting. I'm not thinking about the next call. When I'm talking to my wife, when we go to dinner, I don't put my phone on the table face down. Right? My phone doesn't even make it into the restaurant. I'm with somebody. I'm with them. Full attention. Because time is the only limited resource we all share. And so... I want to know when I'm going to give somebody my time. I'm full in. I'm all in. I'm going to give it to them. Don, this has been great, man. I love I love the way that you analyze and quantify time. I think it's very important in this modern era of, of distractions and constant screens in our face. So that's, that, it's wonderful. And, and before we get out of the door, the proverbial digital door here, I want everyone to be able to uh, reach out if they want hire you, learn more about you, anything revolving around your world, where's the best place on the web for them to go? If they just go to accountabilitynow.net, they, they will easily find us. And I'm also big on Instagram. Um, you know, we've got about, we're closing in on 200,000 followers on Instagram. And so um, if, they, if they jump on there, uh, that's executivecoach.don, they can find us. Right on, Don, thank you. I, I really appreciate it. Good luck with everything. Thank you, man. I really appreciate it. Great, great call. Thanks for tuning in to another famous interview with Joe Domino, where we cover the world of art, literature, business, spirituality, music, and more from around the globe. If you want to hear more interviews, visit the Famous Interviews with Joe Domino channel on YouTube. You can also find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Thanks again for listening, and until next time.